Good morning, everybody. As Luke said, we're reading uh, from chapter 6 of Galatians, from verse 1 through to 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who long who belong to the family of believers. So, um, some messes are worth making in life. For example, a two-year-old playing in mud is a mess worth making. Is that Charlotte or Amelie? Charlotte, it is Charlotte, when she was two, almost three. What about a four-year-old tipping all the Lego out on the floor to find one piece? Is that a mess worth making? Well, it depends who you ask. Dad having to clean it up with him afterwards or the four-year-old? Or what about getting your car really filthy, driving off-road? For some of you, that is a mess worth making. For Johan, it is definitely a mess worth making. What about spilling a coffee in the morning? That is not a mess worth making, not at all. Terrible start to the day. Normally that kind of adds the, the straw that breaks the was back to already a series of unfortunate events if you spill your coffee. What about the church? Is the church a mess worth making? Well, God thinks so. After all, the church is the precious bride of Christ that Jesus bought with his blood that is actually on display in all the heavenly places for everyone to see God's grace and glory So God thinks it's a mess worth making, but what about you? Pastor Paul Tripp says this, he says, we would like to avoid the mess and enjoy deep and intimate community. God says that it is in the very process of working through the mess that intimacy and true community is found. So this morning, we're going to explore Galatians 6, 1 to 10. And in these 10 verses, we're going to see what it looks like to live in community with each other, navigating all the mess that we often find ourselves in in the church. You see, Paul, the author of the letter of this Bible, not Paul Tripp, he says Jesus actually calls us to do for each other what Jesus himself has done for us, and that is carrying each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so this is where we're headed. I want you to see this morning that carrying each other's burdens is the community that Jesus has saved us into by himself carrying our own burdens. 
And that is the two ways to live. To have your burdens carried by Jesus and to have and to be able to carry someone else's burdens too. Now, now I'm, I'm aware that this is a very tricky, hard thing for some of us today. Um, from colds to cancer, from family members walking away from Jesus, people leaving the church, from financial stress, mental health challenges, your marriage hurting, sexuality, singleness, personality conflict, overwhelmed with life and work. There is a myriad of burdens that each of us carry. And they're very real. And for some of you, as tough as this sounds, this may mean opening yourself up for someone to care for you. Because this idea of carrying burdens in a community is very different to what we hear and often what we tell ourselves. I have to be a strong individual, put on a brave face, make everyone think I've got it together by my appearance and how I look and say the right things and project this perfect, perfect image across. But the gospel smashes that and says, it's actually okay to not be okay. For some of you, it means actually being aware that there are people that are hurting in this room and looking around it and walking with them as they face hard things, just like Jesus has for you. And for some of us, it means once again laying the burdens of life at the foot of the cross, actually on the shoulders of Jesus and having him be our great burden lifter once more. And so as we look at this, this community, we're going to see what we've, what we've been saved into, what it's like, it's the first point, what our individual responsibility in this community is, and then how eternity gives us a concrete hope as we do life together. So in Galatians 6.1, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, if, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted Interesting how Paul phrases this, isn't it? He says, if someone, let's say literally any human, is caught in a sin, just any sin, so no one's excluded and any sin is in mind. He's kind of sweeping a big, a big, big picture here. And he says, if you're caught, like stepping into a trap, unplanned, unexpected, it could happen to anyone. And then he turns to the rest of us and says, actually, guys, you have a responsibility of helping to restore those who have fallen down. And it's pretty straightforward. But if we're honest, how often do we do that? Is not my first response when I hear of someone falling into sin to pull out my inner lawyer and congratulate myself on not doing that? To, to just stand there from the sidelines and comment and say, gee, I'm so glad that I'm so good and that I haven't done that today. And I compare myself and I, I put my own insecurities and hurts and I say, I'm much better than them. But that isn't the community Jesus is forming. What would it look like if we saw those who stumble and have fallen as family, not just a problem to pass on to someone else? And the, and the way we do this, Paul says, is actually gently this doesn't mean tolerating or minimizing the sin that's taken place or the natural consequences of their action but i'm never harsh as we sound the alarm when there's smoke signaling a fire so we must help others see the smoke of sin starting to catch a light in them but we do it from our position in christ calling to another adopted child galatians 4 who apart from the grace of god i am just like them 
That's important to keep in mind. You see, we see someone in sin and it's just like a lifelike mirror. And only by the grace of God have I not fallen over today or in that moment or in that time or place with that particular sin because our hearts are prone to wonder and be puffed up with pride and promote our own interests and be just as evil as what I see in other people. But by God's grace, we are awakened to see the spiders of sin as they truly are and we can approach a fellow sinner saved by grace. Fellow fellow battle-scarred people. Notice too that Paul doesn't say um, the pastor should confront you or, or the leaders. He says those who live by the Spirit. Now that sounds very elitist. Who's living by the Spirit? You, you then go and approach that person in sin. The, that's, that's kind of what we think. But consider Galatians 5 has just happened. And so... Living by the Spirit is anyone who's not following their sinful nature at this point, which means actually any one of you has the responsibility. So instead of being a distinction between people saying who's spiritual and who's not, a spiritual person is someone who just isn't following this, their sinful nature at that time. So it's anyone approaching anyone else with the intent to restore them to see them get out of the sin trap. And restore has the idea of putting back in its proper place, like mending a broken bone. And the way you seek to restore someone is, is by before God. Restore them back to God. So when I'm out of joint, I need to be casted and mended and repaired back to God. And the community of you have a part to play in that. And if necessary, I not only seek restoration from God, but from those who I have hurt. And as we do this, we then have to keep a watch on ourselves so that we do not fall down and join that person in sin or look at them with pride and think, I'm so glad I'm not sinful. You see, practically, we need the Spirit of God to change our hearts and we need the community of God, the family of God, to keep each other accountable as this change takes place because God's idea is that spiritual growth happens in community, living with others, kicking around, rubbing shoulders Grant Osborne is a scholar and commenting on this verse, he says so wonderfully, I will help you today as I see you fall prey to Satan's snare and I want you to help me tomorrow when I myself am being tempted. Can you see how messy the church can be? But how wonderful the church can be as well? But you see, not only do we carry... Uh, confront in sin, but we actually carry each other's burdens in verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So in verse 1, helps us to see the community in restoring us when we sin, but verse 2 is looking at those who are burdened. Maybe not by sin, but just life. Burden simply means this whole scope of trials and difficulties that we face. It's an experience that is oppressive, So in Matthew 20, verse 12, Jesus tells a story of workers going in the field, and he says the same word, burdened. They were burdened by the hot sun working all day, this oppressive heat. In Luke 14, 27, the same word is described of Jesus carrying his cross as a burden. And then in Acts 15, 10, at the Jerusalem Council, they decide not to burden, same word, the Gentiles with a weight of the law which they can't possibly handle or, or necessary. So it's a heavy load that we carry for one another and it's bigger than a a shopping bag or a box but it's sharing in the great anxieties of this life 
the concerns, the difficulties. And, and this burden carrying, this is the law of Christ. To carry a burden that is not your own and is not the greatest example of that Christ on the cross. Carrying a burden of sin that wasn't his, paying a debt to God that he did not owe. As we think of that and do that, the great example, the great expression, sorry, is a white hot love for the people of God. But you know, it's important to know what carrying a burden isn't as much as it is. What it doesn't mean is I carry your sin because Jesus did that for you and me. I can no more remove someone's sin than than stop a charging rhino with a blade of grass. So don't take it upon yourself and minister to someone out of your own insecurities thinking you're going to be the superhero. It doesn't mean you have to have all the answers either. How many of us, when confronted with a problem, in the back of our heads we think, I have no idea what to say. Or we simply go into list mode and rattle off 300 things you must do in this particular order before they've even finished the sentence of how life is hard. Or we just give some glib, Romans 8, yeah, that's good. And we walk away and, and hope it kind of worked. And But you know, all, more often than not, people just want you to be real, not fake. Do you know, in, in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, what was the one thing God had said was not good? It was for Adam to not be alone. Something not good before sin entered. And, and so it's horrible being alone, is it not? Feeling like no one is there. And so be, be present with them, 100%, generally involved in them, and, and point them to the greatest hope they have in Jesus, but be there. It also doesn't mean being an armchair commentator. What I mean is you don't sit back and you hear in the back of your head or you say to someone else, well, it serves him right. He'll just have to sit in his mess for a while because these circumstances have led to him doing that. Nor does it mean commenting on why her life is like that and hard and just assuming all this stuff. There's a story of a man who worked in a Christian organization in Sydney. Life was hard and he's car had broken down and the office staff had noticed he was away for quite some time getting there late in the mornings and they said what's what's going on and he kind of you know the tap was broken and it all kind of came rushing out one morning to someone and they said i think we can do something about that and and they, they put the the coffee cup around the office that day and found eight hundred dollars or so to fix his car so he can get to work and um the rest of his life was was all a big mess too and it was just hard and and um, they said, we can help with that burden. And they did something practical. They listened and they gave back. And you think, that's a great example of of the Christian community in, in this workplace getting together around someone. But here's the thing you don't know. Every day that man bought his lunch, every single day. And the cynic in us says, why did you buy your lunch when you can't afford to fix your car? Make a sandwich, bring it to work. Like, does that, would you have given knowing that beforehand? Can you see the prejudice we sometimes hold? That's an armchair commentator. But here's what it does mean. It means fulfilling the law of Christ to carry someone's burden. For the Galatians, this is so interesting. Paul says, all that, you can't keep the law, don't worry. And then he says, here, actually, you can fulfill the law of Christ. That's a striking contrast all of a sudden. But you see, the law burdens you. Whereas the law of Christ removes your burdens. The law keeps heaping on demands and pressures and expectations, but the law of Christ seeks to carry them. 
the law holds you accountable only. Whereas the law of Christ sees one another at work to bear the burden and make it a lighter load together. So back in 5.14, Paul writes, the whole law is fulfilled in one command by loving your neighbor as yourself. And what we see here is love is not just an altruistic or self-sacrifice because you can carry someone's burden and not love them. You can give away all you have to the point of death and not do it in love, 1 Corinthians 13.3. Rather, the heart of the law of Christ is Jesus' love for us, grounded not in how lovely we are, but in his own character. It is grounded in him carrying your burdens and giving himself for you. So a shift takes place that says, I must do this to a law that says, because Jesus did it for me, I'll fulfill this law in others. To say another way, the law of Christ leads me from a self-orientated life to a life that is God-orientated, ready to eager, ready to be eager to serve one another in the power of the Spirit. It also means getting messy as a family. As Jesus wept, I weep too with those who are hurting. Maybe not literally if you don't cry, but that emotional hurt. This is not just a command to love. This is an emotional love that's filled with love for that person, not just a like for that person. And regardless of who they are, the gospel has broken the barrier already. So Galatians 3, there is no Jew or Gentile or slave or free or white-collar worker or blue-collar worker or a stay-at-home mom or, or single person or, or widow or, or, or anything. There's not a hipster or a baby boomer. We're all one in Christ. Which means we need to Jesus together. When we're weary, when we're easily discouraged and, and given over to cynical unbelief, one author said, in those moments we are often not the best ones to speak to ourselves, are we? Therefore we need others to speak the truth to help us believe in Jesus once more. And this is the family of God. We bear burdens, so the load is lighter because the great burden lifter has lifted ours. So perhaps it's time to carry someone else's burden or ask help to carry a burden you have. One of the great lies the family of God exposes is you have to do it on your own and be strong. And the cross says you're not strong and you can't do it on your own. It's not a Christian thing to say, I've just got to be strong and push through. Maybe brave, but it's not what Jesus does. We're made for community. As God is and through the family of God, we can and should carry one one another's burdens as Jesus carries ours. And moreover, as we do that, we don't neglect our own sin. And this is what Paul seeks to guard us from in 3 and 5, this false sense of superiority. If anyone thinks they're something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each should carry their own load. Now, for the Galatians who lived in an honor and shame culture, natural boasting, self-promotion was an important way of living. And what Paul suggests is something totally countercultural here, that someone of a higher status should actually willingly get down lower, become less, and ease someone's burden. Few pagans would ever do that, willingly take the job of a slave And that's where verse 3 begins. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're not. You're fooling yourself. 
if you will not or would not carry a burden of someone else, you deceive yourself and it shows how deep in sin you are actually. And so as medicine has to be taken for it to have an effect, so we must examine our own lives if we're to avoid this self-righteousness in the face of others. But there's a boundary in burden-bearing too. In verse 4, Paul says, we're to test, pay pay careful attention and, and scrutinize our own work because we're each responsible for our own conduct. What what Paul's getting across is his dual approach to living in the community of God's people. Everyone is accountable before God for our own behavior, not someone else's. And at the same time, we live with each other, sharing and carrying each other's burdens. So verse 3, we examine ourselves. Verse 4 tells us how we do that. And that's the hope the gospel gives, is it not? I did not feel inferior when I examined my life because someone has it better or more together than me. How often do I look at those in the, in the church and I think, gee, their marriage is better, I just, or their job is better, or their family's nicer. I wish I could be like that. Or, or how often do I feel prideful and think, oh, I have got it together, ladies and gentlemen. And you should look at me when I walk in because I'm amazing. And I may not say that, but the air of me does not that come across. I hope it doesn't, but... The gospel says, no, you are what you are by the grace of God. Look at God's grace to you. And and if you start to rank your life by God's grace, hold on, we're all the same. Even Peter at the start of his letter said, faith of equal standing. And neither is verse 5 a contradiction of verse 2, where he says, for each should carry their own load. The simple answer is context has changed. Four, the word four shows the result of verse three and four, so we examine our own life so that I will not impose upon the goodwill and burden-bearing of others. I'm being other person-centered because Jesus was other person-centered, and so I will carry your burdens, but sometimes I will sacrifice my own needs to carry yours. But we need some careful explanation here because that doesn't mean being everyone's superhero. You don't carry the other burdens, people's burdens until you break because you're not their superhero and you're not your own superhero. Jesus is their saviour, not you. The joy of the church is that all of us are not quite okay and that's okay because God has got it all together. So let him do the saving and just keep on pointing others to him. The other thing is this focuses us and forces us to look ahead at what is to come. There's good reason to think that Paul is not just thinking about here and now when he wrote that, but it causing us to think towards the final judgment before God when I stand before Jesus. And at that time, there is no other voices, no other people around. It's just you and God, and you'll have to bear your own burden at that point. And right now, we share life with each other, but to come, it's just you and God. And when I think about the judgment to come, that's kind of an antidote to judging others right now. Because the hope is Jesus. And then the last five verses, they're still dealing with carrying burdens, but again, the focus shifts a little. And and verse 6 is tricky. The reformer Martin Luther said of Galatians 6, 6, that I don't like to interpret and preach on this passage because it gives the appearance of greed if one emphasizes these things diligently. And you can see why. It says, six? Oh, I missed it. Forgive me. Verse 6, Paul is interested in those who teach the church 
who carry the burden for the spiritual health of the church, the life of those in the church, that that burden is shared by the church in a financial way so that both can give the good things they have from God to one another for the benefit of each other. Another burden-carrying example. Share financially so the church can share the word of God. That's the point. But he doesn't want us to get stuck on that too much because then he turns to an agricultural image of sowing a seed and reaping and harvesting in seven to eight. And so as we think about carrying birds in the church, we're essentially harvesting. Sowing, I should say. And there is a sowing in this that is for the pleasure of my flesh, for my own gain in some way. But this is deceptive, as Paul says, because sin doesn't actually give the harvest you want. You plant the sin seed in the, and you reap corruption. But in contrast, you sow the spirit and you reap eternal life. Do not be deceived, he says, because God actually knows your intention as you live and kick around the church. You can't mock God either with your actions nor your words. And what we do with what we have here and now shows where our priorities and our true treasures actually lie. And so here's where it comes together in verse 9. It can be hard bearing burdens. Paul's aware of that. But there's a promise that at the proper time there will be a harvest. And this is where the encouragement lies. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us not forget that we have a great burden lifter that we can turn to, who is the God who is never overwhelmed by any event of life. Let us see that our own burdens are a reminder of our weakness and Jesus' greatness. Let us see that all too often we've got our heads stuck the wrong way up. And instead of looking forward at what is to come, we get distracted here and now. But God has given us his church a hope that is bigger than just this moment, that stretches and launches us deeper in the future. And shows us how everything's going to be made the right way up when it's restored with this brand new quality. Listen to this, and we'll close with the words of Revelation 21, 1 to 5. And there are no more burdens. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Let us comfort and carry and care for each other in the church and let us continue to make a mess worth making. Let's pray. Father God, you are the great burden giver. 
and the great burden lifter. Many of us today come here with heavy burdens on our shoulders, weight that we feel is impossible to carry on our own. And, and Lord, it's true. There are many things in life we cannot handle, which is why Jesus is our saviour. We are what we are by the grace of God. And Father God, as we think through our life and our weeks ahead, Father, now would be the time that we would cast our burdens and all the weight of our our anxiety upon you because you care for us. And Father, as we do that, we realize that in the future, in in your wonderful fulfillment of where this world is heading, there will be a time when what we experience now will be as temporary as a drop in the ocean. But Lord, right now, it feels like it is the ocean. So Father, help us to stay afloat. Father, give us those in the community now to care for us as we face these hard things, to pray and point us to the greatest hope we have, Jesus. Father, may we read your word, desperate to know you, the one who has created us for yourself. Father, help us not to be self-centered or arrogant, prideful, distracted, but, Father, to genuinely care for those here. Father, we know that we cannot do this without you, that this calling upon us is way too hard and high. But, Father, our hope is in Jesus. And we cast the burdens of our work week, our family, the uncertainty onto you now. May you carry it for us. May we carry one another's burdens into the week ahead. In your name, amen.